What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gigolasso, and this is our Euro 2020 final recap. Give me that trumpet. Give me that. What is that? Vuvuzela. It's a, a Vuvuzela, baby. Let's go. Oh my God. You know I don't what? know how to do it very well. It sounds like a like a really sad elephant, but I'm trying my best, and I feel like I'm being sad for all the English fans out there. I know, I know, and I hate Vuvuzelas, but I love Jimmy Conrad. So that, <laughs> hey, everybody, welcome to our Euro 2020 final recap. James Bench will join us later on, as uh, Jimmy mentioned, to uh, cry. And listen, I'm upset too, obviously, but happy for Italian fans. Let's be professional about this, and let's celebrate first Forza Azzurri as Italy for the first time. What is it? 53 years. Mm -hmm. They win European Championship. They didn't make World Cup 2018. Jimmy Conrad, they've been on this journey under Roberto Mancini. And my goodness, what a way to end it in penalty shootouts. Donnarumma is an absolute animal. I know we're going to talk about him, but really, Italy win Euro 2020. An amazing tournament, an amazing team. Thoughts, my friend? So I don't know where to start. You know, there's a part of me that wants to get into the heartbreaking side of it for English fans, but let's just focus on the positives first. Let's be professionals. As you said, I want to give a shout out to Italy. I thought one of their best traits that they've displayed throughout this tournament and also over the last, I don't know, 34 games that they're unbeaten is that they've shown an ability to not lose. And even though they gave up a goal in the first two minutes to Luke Shaw, and those tactics worked out great for Gareth Southgate when you have one of the wingbacks crossing it over to the other wingback for the finish. They didn't get rattled, and they made some adjustments at halftime, and then you could sense that, okay, Mancini probably told his guys, because it happened around the 60th minute, we're going to make some subs. If we didn't get back into it in the first 15 minutes of the second half, we're going to make some subs, and this is how we're going to play from there. And once those subs happened, I thought Mancini was very good with his subs. It changed the game. Immobile came off and Cine went into the false nine spot. He was trying to pull center backs in. They just started to be a little bit more active. Chiesa on the left side, cutting in on his right, much more effective than from the right to the left. And obviously they're always going to be a threat on set pieces. One of the things that I think we talked about in the previews that if Italy was going to score, they probably would try to do it on, well, I definitely would try, but they probably were going to do it on a set piece. And so fair play to Benucci for putting himself in a good spot and, and making that happen. And then after that, it didn't seem like England had too many answers, all the momentum. I saw a stat that in the second half, 71% possession for Italy. They were in complete control, didn't look rattled. And I picked the draw. I told everybody in the preview that it was going to be a draw after 90 minutes and it was going to go to penalties. And then from there, who knows? And that hit. But uh, I don't know. Sometimes the bets are secondary. I mean, there's a lot of emotion, I think, to unpack for both of these teams. But congratulations to Italy. Obviously, they hadn't won this. We talk about Serie A. We talk about the Premier League a lot. But their national teams aren't necessarily out there winning a whole bunch of trophies. So it was pretty cool to see that one of these two was going to make it happen. And it was just the Italians. I just feel like penalty kicks are a harsh way to decide a game of that magnitude. Yeah, well said on all accounts. And I agree. I mean, doing it on penalties is so, so tough. But let's talk about, first of all, you know, the game itself. You, you brought up some really good points. And I see this, Jimmy. I, th I thought this game was like... A like one of those huge 700-page novels with three chapters, right? <laughs> the very beginning was a very quick chapter, right? Luke Shaw scoring early, whatever. And there I was with Poppy Miller, our own popular, and we were saying, this is actually great, but it's also not good for England mm -hmm. because I really want to see what Southgate does once you score so early because he's such a reactive manager sometimes. I thought that his initial 
um, thinking was to protect rather than go for a second goal. And that's exactly what happened. They, they He was, in a way, obviously not satisfied with the whole end of the game, but he was satisfied with a one nothing lead in the first half. And it seemed, you know, that three centre-back situation became a 5 defensive line just waiting waiting Italy was still trying to figure themselves out England seemed reasonably comfortable but then at halftime the second chapter Jimmy was Roberto Mancini saying you know what they're happy with one nothing and I think that they're not going for a second as much so let's go for our equalizer and that's exactly what happened in the second chapter and the third of course being extra time and Donnarumma just being ridiculous once again in a penalty shootout so my question to you is this did Southgate get it right formation-wise from the very beginning? I think he did. I, I Actually, in the first half, I thought all the buttons were pushed. I remember thinking about it, talking to the people that I was watching the game with, that this seems okay, that going with the two wingbacks, the three center backs, the the two uh, you know holding midfielders, Mason Mountain front, really only having Kane and Sterling as your attacking options. But they got a goal from their wingbacks. As I mentioned, I, it, it seemed like everything was gravy. But you knew they were going to make some adjustments, Italy. And that's where I think England maybe failed to cope as the game started to change. They couldn't stay in that rigidity of, of that formation. At some point, they were going to get tired. Italy was going to push. Italy's going to try a couple different things to unlock. The and sub I think, came in too late, right? I mean, England's uh, When I look at their subs, Saka comes in for Trippier. Henderson comes in for Rice. What it, time it's, was that? That's 71st minute for Saka, 74th minute for Henderson. Okay, that's okay. All right. It, but it's only two subs in regulation, you know, and at that point. Well, but, but, and they were defensively minded subs, really, if you think about it. Right? Saka, Saka, yes and no, you know, and I'm going to get into him a little bit more because I want to talk about that last penalty. But Jordan Henderson, I thought was a good sub to make. Declan Rice, you know, I, I'd love to see their 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 heat maps in terms of the amount of ground they're covering. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's unbelievable. Him and Calvin Phillips, ridiculous. The fact that I don't know that that Grealish didn't come in until the 99th minute. You know, when he's chasing the game a little bit. I to your point, sometimes teams do score too early, especially teams that are very good defensively and can grind you and wear you down. And maybe that goal did come a little bit too early and already put him in that mindset of. Now we have something to lose for the next 88 minutes and nothing to gain. And when they gave up that goal, it gave Italy confidence and it took away confidence from England. And now it only took them, I think the only time England regained some momentum was the last five minutes of the second half of extra time. When, yeah. when England all of a sudden started to regain it. And a lot of that was because of Jack Grealish. He comes in, he wants the ball, he gets the ball, he's giving you something a little bit different. And when you see that happen, you, you wonder... Why would you not bring him in sooner? He could have, he could have, sometimes the best defense is just possession, right? I mean, yeah. Pep Guardiola is a master of it. So I don't know. I think Grealish maybe could have come in a little bit earlier. Or maybe you could have done something a little bit different. I mean, are you telling me that you don't want to put Grealish in because he doesn't want to play defense or whatever that may be, whatever narrative you want to build? Dude, it's the final of the Euro. At Cup. some like, point, you have to gamble. You have to defend, dude. And you have to gamble a little bit. So and I, I, it's, it's like Grealish would do the work. Why wouldn't you not do the work if you're coming on in the 75th minute? No, no disrespect. I think Saka was a fine sub. I just, it's just interesting. And I do think he'll get second guessed. And I don't know. I think the future is bright for England. And I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in 2022. So if they can somehow pick themselves off the floor and hopefully sooner rather than later, it'll just bode well for that. But they have to go through this process of grieving. They were so close to not only becoming heroes, but absolute legends in their country for the rest of their careers. Well, let, let, let's now pivot to Italy because, you know, they are champion and, you know, they didn't have a good first half. But I remember you 
well, of course I remember, it was only like 10 seconds ago, but you said about <laughs> statistics that Italy brought into this game because towards the end of this game, I mean, you're looking at 70% possession. By the way, a very unnatural Italian thing to do as well. There are shots, granted, a lot of them were off target, but Roberto Mancini was figuring it out. He realized Immobile wasn't being as mobile, excuse the pun. No, right? no, I, I'm here for it. Keep going. There, there you go. He, you know, he had to react to Chiesa's, uh, you know, injury and 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 he had to sort of try and get Verratti, Varela and Jorginho more involved. And piece by piece, brick by brick, the same way that Romans built aqueducts, Italy started <laughs> to form itself into a more confident <laughs> side. And you, the moment, Jimmy, it went to extra time, I knew, I knew Italy we're going to do everything in the power to, con to continue that momentum. And, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, again, I want to go back to Italy not being rattled. I think that's a team with a yeah. ton of experience. And I think it showed, for instance, if Jordan Henderson had come into the game earlier, he seems like a player that doesn't get easily rattled, right? If something bad happens, he's very steady. He knows how to kind of regain control of the situation quickly. That's what experience does. And I think yeah. when you're a younger player, sometimes you get a little emotional, right? And I think the older players know how to leave emotion out of those situations. So Italy, even when they gave up a goal, it, it didn't lead to the second one, right? It they didn't give England another great look to make that happen. And I actually thought that both goalkeepers weren't too busy, all things considered, until it started to get a little dicey there uh, in injury time when people were poking around. I do want to say something about Roberto Mancini. I think the subs, having, having the balls, ultimately, the stones, the John Stones, as I like to say, the courage to, to take out Chiro the hero Moble, who we all love, Nico Barella as well, who's one of the best, best young box-to-box -box midfielders in the world, to bring on Brian Cristante, to bring on Berardi. I thought that was interesting. I thought Insigne was going to come off, and he kind of flipped the switch a little bit. And he, I thought maybe you'd bring on a Belotti and an Immobile and have two out-and-out -out strikers out there, but instead he changed it. And it gave the, the, a bit of a refreshing feeling, I think, to the midfield. And there was obviously some tactical changes. We get Verratti maybe pushing up a little bit higher, and Cristante can maybe drop in. And he's staying, now Verratti's a little bit closer and connected to Insigne. And what I really liked what they were doing was they would play it in. Insigne would drop into the midfield, very similar to what Harry Kane had been doing throughout the whole tournament. And it pulls a center back from England into that space. And that opens up different areas. Chiesa, as I mentioned, much more effective from the left to the right than when he's standing on the right trying to cut into his left. And I thought that made a difference. His energy was different. He was running at Kyle Walker. He was running at... Kieran Trippier. He was trying to make that happen. So then another center back has to come over and cover, and that opens up space in other ways. And they started to play that in, back, and through. But in this particular instance, England gives you that space wide. So you go into Insigne, back to Verratti, Verratti out wide. And all of a sudden, they weren't getting any crosses in the first half, first 50, 60 minutes. And then from that point on, I actually noted it when I was watching Extra Time, they're getting crosses every two or three minutes. They're yeah. getting whipping crosses in. Sure, some of it was hopeful. Maybe the majority of it was hopeful, but it still sends a message of intent to England and it starts to put them on the back foot. And all of a sudden, now John Stones and Harry Maguire maybe a yard deeper than they were before. And maybe they're not taking that risk to step into midfield anymore, which is going to open up pockets of space for everybody else. So I really like those subs. I thought they felt a little risky at the time, but now they've turned out to be pure genius. I thought it actually did help turn the tide a little bit for Italy, help them regain the momentum. And of course, when you're regaining the momentum and then you score during that time, the confidence changed right after that as well. And you could sense then, once they gave up a goal with 25 minutes left, that England was like, we just lost it. 
I, I, we don't know what to do here. And they really didn't have any answers to that. And that's where I think Gareth Southgate could have helped maybe brought on a sub like a Grealish to regain control of the momentum. And they just never could until, like I said, the last five minutes of the second half of extra time. Yeah, very, very well said. And listen, the, the, the thing is about this game as well was that, you know, there were two teams. One was trying to go the course, the one that they know very well. And the other one was constantly changing and adapting and trying to understand what was going to happen. You mentioned all the crosses, the, the, the meaning of intent. And it felt like Italy wanted something. England were hoping for something. And the moment that happens, it's a problem. And so we go into penalty shootouts. And I might, you know, I just I just knew that there was something going to happen. But you wanted to mention, listen, I think it's very important to remember something. First of all, a shootout is just like the cruelest way for a team to lose, especially in a final. They're not taking anything away from what tactically you need to do in a penalty shootout. But it is such a cruel way. And obviously, I thought Jordan Pickford throughout this tournament has been amazing. He did his part in the penalty shootout. Donnarumma is, I mean, the guy's six five. He's just, <laughs> and he's so good at reacting and stuff. But I don't want anybody from the England camp to, like, we, England wouldn't be in the situation if it wasn't for the, the thanks of somebody like Bukayo Saka, et cetera. So, you know, I, I, I know that you wanted to bring that up. Just your overall thoughts is the penalty. Yeah, so, so, so. Unfolded. The joke I'll have is that I'm glad Jorginho finally missed, just so maybe he can end that that dumb run up that he does with the jump. A ridiculous uh, <laughs> from Pickford, by great, the way. great save by Pickford. What's unfortunate about him missing is that that allowed Saka to come up and then ultimately be the fall guy. Ultimately, he's not the fall guy as you mentioned. What I find interesting about the subs that Gareth Southgate had, and I'm sure a lot of English fans wanted to get into this right away, is that you bring in Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho to take penalties. Yeah. And you're now putting the pressure. Three very young players, by the way. Young players, cold players, haven't played much this tournament. And now you're putting all of this pressure on them to help decide whether they're going to win a major international trophy or not. That seems ridiculously unfair to them as players. Also, they didn't really have any influence over the 120 minutes. Rashford comes in. He's playing right back, you know, for, for Kyle Walker, which was amazing because he had to stop uh, Florenzi or something that one time. But yeah, it was just... I understand in some ways why you want to do that, especially if these guys have ice in their veins. And we've seen Marcus Rashford score some big penalties, but that was in him in the midst of playing 90 minutes, 120 minutes. Like he was in the flow of the game. You yeah. bring these guys out cold, and I just feel like you're setting them up to fail. To fail. So that I have that as an issue. So he brings those subs on. That doesn't work at all, which though in theory it sounds okay. I can understand the rationale behind it. What I don't really understand is that Bukayo Saka – Bukayo Saka, excuse me, is 19 years old. Yeah. He's a baby. There's a, there's a lot of grown-ass men on that team. And yeah. you're not you're telling me that one of these grown-ass men, even, even, even your captain, Harry Kane, and I get him taking it first and trying to set the tone and making sure, you know, I get all that, him going first. But you're going to put your 19-year-old in that fifth spot? That, that, that's a lot. That's a, I mean, that's going to mark his career for the rest of his life. Just like the 1996 miss for Gareth Southgate marked his. Yeah, I just feel like they should have protected him. And Gareth Southgate, that's his job, is to make sure he's protecting his players no matter what happens with the result. Whether success, failure, whatever it is, you put your players in a position to succeed. And that just was, I think that's a big, too big of a moment for, for Saka. Any 19-year-old, it doesn't have to be isolated to Saka. That's just too big, especially when you have, like Jordan Henderson, I know they subbed him off, but couldn't you have kept him on? To t- I mean, I would rather have had 
Jordan Henderson, who's just an experienced player that's been around, step up and take it. And if he misses it, all right. You know what? This guy's been around. He knows it's not going to mark his career in the same way. This is going to follow soccer around. And it's it just feels really, really unfair. And and I can't even imagine this is just as a human being. Now we add into the fact that he's black and he's just going to it's going to be like times a million. And that's even in more ridiculously unfair. Not that I was saying that Gareth Southgate needs to pick his players on who's going to kick because of who's black and who's not. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. What I'm saying is that the the shitty world that we live in, that's going to that's going to play into it. And it's going to be it's, it's stupid and it's dumb and it has no place in society at all. But that's just what happens to these guys. And it, it sucks. And now you've just added that layer to this whole thing. Yeah. And and that just feels unfair. So I just want to get back to his age and his inexperience. I just wish somebody else would have raised their hand and said, you know what? I'll take the fifth kick. Yeah. He could no. have taken the third one. He could have taken the third one. But somebody else just said, I'll take the fifth kick. You know, yeah. something like that. No, no. Well, well said. Listen, hey, everybody, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have our own James Bench because we're going to continue this conversation, especially with Bukayo Saka. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back with Kego Lasso Euro 2020 final recap. Stay right here. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And joining us now from England is James Bench. James Bench, how are you, my friend? I mean, it's, um, yeah, I've been better. Certainly it was better last time we spoke. Uh, but I think, you know, in the immediate aftermath, I think there's still a huge amount to be proud about from an England perspective and a, and a huge amount to... Um, to convince you that the future is going to be really bright, that this will be mm-hmm, the first mm-hmm. of, of many deep runs into tournaments. And um, yeah, I've enjoyed the last four weeks immensely. Um, and I'm certain there's going to be a lot of fun in Qatar in 18 months time. Absolutely. And we're going to get into that in a second, but I wanted to continue the conversation from our break, James, obviously Bukayo Saka, somebody that you know very well, somebody that's given so much for this country uh, in this tournament and so forth. Give me your thoughts on, 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 you know, just a penalty shootout and, and where you think, uh, you know, how it was handled, you know, per after uh, Jimmy's comments. Yeah, I was lurking in the, the green room listening to, to Jimmy. And um, I think it's really interesting. Obviously, Jimmy has the, you know, the, the pros view on this and, and understands the pressure far greater than I do. Having said that, you know, I, 
the the two things. So it sounds like from what Gareth Southgate has said afterwards that he picked the uh, the trio. He picked the order. He trusted Saka. Um, and I think the the, the the things I'd say first of all is that for me, trusting Bakayo Saka in a crucial situation is an absolute no brainer. We've seen mm-hmm, that with mm-hmm, Arsenal this mm-hmm, season. We've seen mm-hmm. that with England. Yes, it's putting a huge amount of weight uh, of pressure on a on a nineteen year old. Um, and like it's going to be tough. Um, equally, I would like to think that the country. And, you know, we, we can debate this. I think there will always be a sort of lunatic, awful fringe. But I, I'd like to think the country's maybe matured in footballing terms over this tournament and over the World Cup in 2018, enough that, you know, they know that Bukayo Saka didn't cost England this game and that Marcus Rashford and Jaden mm-hmm, Sancho mm-hmm. didn't cost England this game. And, you know, whether you believe it was Gareth Southgate's tactics, whether it was just Italy getting things right that England didn't, whatever you put it down to, it's not. It's not one spot kick being missed. Um, I, it will be hard for Saka. It will be really tough for him over the next few months. I'm sure and I know people at Arsenal that such admiration for the character of this young man as well as his his quality off the pitch. I, I, I feel like I know that he will come back from this stronger. But uh, man, it's going to be hard. But I don't, I don't doubt that that Saka was the right player. I still, you know, put me back in that situation again. I would trust him with that penalty. Excellent technique composure delivers in the clutch i would i will trust him again in in 2022 it's a hard one it's going to be tough for him but uh i i would disagree about putting him in there we know he delivers yeah benj i i wasn't trying to take a shot at him with regard to his quality uh, and and what i think he's capable of and fair play to him i wouldn't have had the courage to step up and say i'll take the fifth kick in any stretch not even in a game of that magnitude so i just want to make sure i clarified there where I think the blame should fall, and I'm glad that you think that there's a maturity with with the fans um, enough to realize that the three Lions only mustered one shot on goal over 120 minutes, and I think that needs to be dissected yeah. before we even get into penalties. Yeah. Oh, 100. percent. I, I, I it, it, it's tough. England have built their brand and their success in this tournament on on being a little bit conservative, and certainly in the first half, you know, we came away from it going one shot on target, but a lot of good positions. I think in the end, it's hard to know what it comes down to. I think the players probably just did what is natural in this circumstance. You drop back, you just say, we're one nil up, we have, we hold. And they needed Southgate to jolt them out of that a little bit. Whether that was getting on Saka and Grealish, I would have said, I thought Mank was a little disappointing by his standards. Get them on a bit earlier, really push further up the pitch, even in the same system, but just something to jolt the game a little bit. It wasn't so much that some of the substitutes didn't work. I didn't think Saka was great in normal time. I thought Henderson, he did okay in terms of blocking off that passing channel out to the left, but was pretty poor in possession. But it was just that the game slipped away from England in a way that I don't think they mentally could recover. James, let me ask you quick before you carry on. on. When Shaw scored that goal, was part of you worried that it was that early? No, not at all. No, you, I, thought, you thought, here we go, we're going to score another one very soon. Well, I just, I, I, <laughs> I don't really think it hurts to ever to, to stamp your authority on the game. And I mean, I think then the, the 10 minutes that followed that, it felt like, it felt like a game that England could route, even though they didn't take, get another shot on target. It felt like this is a game where, that they are controlling and that, you know, they could win quite comfortably. I mean, and, and then to an extent, you know, it's frustrating that, the chances didn't quite come then, but you have to keep that momentum going. You should be coming back in. And it was a bit dicey before half time, wasn't it? And saying, let's get back to that first 10 minutes. Let's not sit deep. I think, I don't know. It's hard to know whether it's Southgate 
or England, or the players' fault that it got to that stage where they were sitting deep. But I do think, and this is not, you know, this is not to say that Southgate is not an excellent manager and doesn't deserve a huge amount of credit for the tournament as a whole. But it, he needed to shake it up earlier on. That, that's really what it came down to. Yeah, I think all three of us are in that accordance. I think that he he took a little bit too long in terms of making some shifting, but we can't take anything away from what he's done from this uh, final. All right, let's continue the conversation because I do want to shift on the champions for a second. I mean, Italy really, the one thing that we haven't mentioned, Jimmy, I think, is also the fact that they played in a very hostile environment. <laughs> I mean, it was, that was like, I mean, they say it was like nearly 68,000. I'm pretty sure it was close to 80,000. They're probably not counting everybody. It was ridiculous. And if all overwhelmingly English support, and obviously naturally so, how... How are we going to remember this Italy side in this tournament? Because obviously they have such a great history, right? This is their 10th final in major competitions, but now they have another one to add to the trophy, another title. How, how are they going to remember? And then looking ahead as I look to Qatar. I would say, first and foremost, the word that jumps out to me is steady. I think they're very steady. I think they have an identity of, of who they are and how they can play. And I really liked the fine-tuning and nuance and subtlety of their tactical changes. I thought when Berardi came on, uh, in particular, that that made a difference when Cristante came on. That that you don't need to be these big flashy name to go out there necessarily and be effective. And maybe to Benj's point, you know, uh, Gareth Southgate could could take some notes from Mancini about how to just tinker a little bit. And I think with the starting lineups, he's been pretty spot on Southgate. I think in this one in particular, those subs maybe needed to come on a little bit sooner to regain that momentum that we talked about in the second half, that they just had trouble once the game got even to, to really get their footing back into it and how they would establish themselves at, as they did in the first half. So so when you look down at Italy, I, or look back at Italy and, and think about how they played and how they've played over these 34 games and the unbeaten streak, I'm going to reemphasize it. I just think they don't know how to lose. And that's such a great quality to have. And that's why they're champions. Ultimately, they continue to find ways and different people to step up and make plays. So they're really well balanced. And I, I'm going to raise my hand and say, they have to be one of the favorites now to win the world cup in 18 months. I, I completely agree with, with Jimmy. I put them right in that, that upper tier. I'd have someone like England and Brazil and Argentina in there as well. I mean, one, one thing to point out, looking way back in this tournament, someone like Bastoni looks more than mm-hmm. ready to step in. But equally, you know, this was this was spectacular from Chiellini and, and Benucci. I, I, do, I don't know if it will be their last tournament. It's so hard to judge. Chiellini's 37, but the World Cup's only 18 months away. Um, going back to the other thing that really stood out for me from what Jimmy said was how shrewdly Mancini has managed his squad you know, what go right back to him bringing Sirigu on for however many seconds that was against Wales so that more players could feel involved in this tournament. I think he, and in this game though, real shrewd tinkering. Insigne must have played about five or six different positions before he came off. Um, they've sort of made the left flank work just about, which is a real achievement when you consider that the whole team was designed around Spinazzola. Yeah. Everything mm-hmm, flew, mm-hmm, flowed through mm-hmm. him. I mean, I was looking at some numbers. It wasn't just that it was where they created their attacks. It was where they pressed. It was where they did everything. You know, the right flank was a, a ghost town, basically. And he's pretty much on the fly redesigned that in such a way that a left back that is suspect defensively in Emerson can can still thr- thrive in that that situation. Both England and Italy, I think, are in this exciting, similar position where there's a good blend of, you know, semi-veterans, players of the age of Maguire, Verratti, young, exceptional talent. I think we've seen Federico Chiesa establish himself 
in the top echelon of European fo- forwards. I'm really excited to see him in Juventus on CBS Sports and Paramount Plus next season. Well um, done, sir. You're going to get your bonus this Christmas. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a really cool Italy team that can do a lot of things. And I think if they have Mancini, then they've got a, a top quality manager for the uh, for the tournament. And I don't think there'll be many teams with a better player, a better manager in the dugout. Yeah, no, well said. And it's important to remember they lost Pinat Sola, who was a player of the tournament. Uh, and look at that. Look at what we're looking at from William Hill there, Jimmy Conrad. We had, uh, you know, for the World Cup for next year, we got Brazil over 550, France 600. Wow, Italy, a thousand right now, Jimmy Conrad. A thousand. I know. They were 8-1 to begin the tournament. They were one of my uh, best buys ahead of the Euros, and uh, they paid off, so that was nice. Brazil, I think, are there, but there's some vulnerability. They need to figure out who their number nine is. I think uh, that will solve some problems. Germany probably falls into that as well. England, I like them at plus 800. I'd I'd probably put a wager on them right now. I I really liked what I saw, and I think because this group has to deal with some pretty disappointing adversity, this could be a way for them to bounce back in a meaningful way. And I think they're going to be hungry in a way that they wouldn't be had they won, right? There'd be a little bit of a let off and now they have something to work towards yeah. and, and to really com- come together, right? Like er- even though the country's still behind them, of course, but they're still, they have, th- they have something to prove to themselves. We can get to the finish line. We were so close. Let's do it this time around. And you know what? The world cup's actually more special than the Euro. So let's go out there and prove it to everybody. <laughs> and I like that that's that possibility for this English group because they definitely have it within them. They're so stacked in every position. And the way that Gareth Southgate set them up and given them that belief that they're getting closer. They did a semifinal in the World Cup in 2018. They just got to the final of Euro 2020. So why can't they win it in 2022? Yeah, where's USMNT there, Jimmy? Where's, you know uh, what? I'm just trying to focus on on the... Uh, we, got, we just got to qualify. We have to qualify first. Baby steps. Our, our okay? we're winning. Going all the way down. We're oh, winning enough. 2026. We're going to yeah. win it when we're hosting the tournament. Fair enough. I mean, Peru's nowhere near, so it's a big deal. <laughs> Some but- of those look like made-up countries. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, before we say goodbye, I do just want to get your thoughts from both of you on this tournament. I think it has been incredible. In, you know, after everything that we've had to go through in the last 14 months, pandemic, et cetera, blah, 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 this to me has been such an incredible tournament uh, for the obviously so many reasons. So, Bench, with you, what are you going to remember from Euro 2020? How have you seen it? For me, what really stands out is, I mean, you can't help, you know, being in England, you can't help but see it through that prism, um, not least because it was a, a tournament that was so spread out. You maybe only feel like you really experienced England's games in close proximity to you. And I think this felt like a a moment of kind of hope for a better version of English culture which I know is quite a broad sweeping statement for what is essentially a few games of football. But um, I, th- I felt for me like this was uh, a time, and you know I've spoken about this previously on the pod, but a time where we saw a, an English national team and an English national identity that, that you could feel proud about without feeling uncomfortable and Brexity and all those things. And that there was a, just a, a degree of joy created by 26 young men who... Um, had acted in the right way before this tournament, after this, or I'm sure will after this tournament and during this tournament. Um, I think for me that that's will be my abiding memory of, of Euro 2021. The, to- the trophy might not have come home, but it feels like 
Football's come home <laughs> to, uh, to as in it's something that, that we now feel is part of our national identity in a positive way. Um, and that's not always been that easy to find in this country of the Premier League's avarice. So, um, yeah, I know that's probably you wanted something more about how great um, Marco Verratti was. He was good. <laughs> no, yeah, I wanted I wanted your own opinion, and I think you gave it. I think uh, I think it's a good one, Jimmy. What about you? Yeah, I'll just finish up by saying that this tournament was fantastic. Uh, I'm glad that uh, despite all of the risks that were at stake due to the pandemic and everything else, that they for the most part, ran a successful campaign. And I thought that the two best teams and the most consistent teams throughout the tournament faced each other in the final. We don't see that very often. And when they faced each other in the final, they were so evenly matched. They drew not only after 90 minutes, but 120. And it had to go to penalties to decide who was the very best. When I think they maybe just could have split the spoils and everybody would have gone home happy. But you got to make it, you got to find it out uh, who's going to win and who who has to suffer. And unfortunately, it didn't go the way of James Benj and the English and yourself, Luis. I know you spent uh, quite a bit of time there. So it's um, it's unfortunate for them. But like I mentioned, I think the future is bright. I think onwards and upwards from here. And they just have to pick themselves up after working through their process of being disappointed. And I think I think they're one of the favorites. I'm not going to I'm not going to shy away from that for 2022. No, I totally agree. And uh, I want to take this moment to thank uh, Jimmy Conrad, James Ben, Jonathan Johnson, Fabrizio Romano, our amazing producer, Lisa Roman, of course, and our entire CBS Sports team for uh, being part of this Euro 2020 journey. Some of us are going to take a, a well-earned break, uh, even if uh, our employers don't even know about it. I'm just going <laughs> to uh, But I want to thank all of you because this was, to me, honestly, a fantastic tournament. And it ended, I think... Uh, in a way that, you know, shows just how good this game really is. James Bench, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Uh, football's coming home. <laughs> Jimmy Conrad, always a pleasure, my man. Always a pleasure. We're winning it in 2026. Stamp it. <laughs> I love it. I'm right. We're winning the Euros in 2026. I'm just kidding. Well, we're going to win something. It's going to come home in, I don't know, 100 years, and we're going to win a World <laughs> Cup at some point. I don't know when, but maybe soon. Thank you so much. Hey, and don't forget to not, you know, vote for us because we're nominated. People's Choice Podcast Awards. Just head over, head over in the descriptions. Uh, our pinned tweet, Gegolasso Pod, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, CBSSports.com, and your CBS Sports app. Everybody, have a great, great rest of your Sunday night. See ya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.